Okay, well, welcome back, everyone. If we can all um, get settled down again as we transition to the next part of our service, uh, which is the reading and teaching of God's Word. And to read God's Word for us today, um, I'd like to introduce Rosanna, who will be reading God's Word. So, Rosanna. Our reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-13. to 13. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, and with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and, behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rosanna. Well, back in undergrad, when I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with my life, an older friend once shared his definition of wisdom, um, sorry, his definition of success with me going through school. And this is what he said to me. He said, Stephen, getting good grades, it's good and all that. But if that's what defines success for you, then you're kind of still missing the point. Because in my opinion, true success in my undergrad years is learning life lessons through your successes and your failures. Through your successes and your failures. What do you think about that statement? that successes also include your failures. I know I had to chew on it. And likewise, the Corinthians from our passage today, they had to chew on that kind of statement as well. You see, for the Corinthians, a successful ministry looked like one that was full of results, that was full of comfort and ease. But when they look at Paul, all they see is a ministry that's full of hardships, that's full of accusations and suffering. And that's not the kind of leadership that they signed up for. And they're starting to doubt whether they should even continue submitting to Paul's leadership in the first place because it's not aligning with their definition of what success is supposed to be. They're disappointed by him. And so what we have in our text today is we see Paul having a real heart-to-heart with the Corinthians as he addresses to them what true gospel leadership is and what their attitude towards it reveals about how they receive 
the gospel in their own hearts. And let me emphasize here that Paul is talking specifically about gospel leadership. He's not talking about secular kind of leadership, but he's talking about a leadership that's rooted, that's driven, and that's accountable, held accountable by the gospel. Now, before I continue, I do want to recognize where we are currently at as a community here at Grace Toronto. We're in a season where we're really reflecting about what gospel leadership looks like for us. And whatever kind of experiences that we may have had with the leadership, or what kind of, whatever kind of expectations that we have, or our understanding of what leadership should look like, my hope for us is this, that we can sit under God's word this morning and hear what he has to say to us, just as Mary sat under the feet of Christ to listen to his teachings. And so Paul pleads to the Corinthians to widen their hearts, and may we also widen our hearts as we hear and as we learn about what gospel leadership looks like. Now, there are three points that we can take from this passage. These are the three. Number one, why we are to receive gospel leadership. Number two, what to expect, what to look for in gospel leadership. And number three, how to respond to gospel leadership. One, why we receive it. Number two, what to look for it. And number three, how to respond to it. So let's look at our first, why we are to receive gospel leadership. Paul begins his appeal to the Corinthians in verse 1 as he says the following words. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Essentially, receiving the grace of God in vain means don't let this grace go to waste. Or in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, don't cheapen God's grace. And so the immediate question we all have is, okay, what is this grace of God that Paul is talking about? Well, when we look at the verse right before in chapter 5, verse 21, we see that Paul is talking about Christ, who for our sake was made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now when we look a little ahead to verse 3, we get to see what context Paul is using to use this statement. The context we see is that Paul is defending the integrity of his ministry. And why would Paul defend anything at all in the first place unless the Corinthians were accusing him, unless the Corinthians were rejecting him and his ministry? And so connecting these two things together then, we see what Paul is saying here in verse 1. If you're not able to accept my apostolic ministry and leadership, then you're not accepting Christ and his gospel message. Your rejection of me is a rejection of Christ. Now these are some really, really strong words that Paul is saying right here. To reject him is to reject Christ. I mean, hearing that, how does that make you feel? Uneasy? It made me feel uneasy when I read through it many times. Does it make you feel guilty, angry, confused? 
The way we receive gospel leadership reveals the way that we receive Christ himself. Here's the connection. The entire life, the entire ministry of Christ, it actually went against the expectations of the Jewish people at the time. Because for them, they were looking forward to this Messiah, this, this coming king who was supposed to come as a conquering king and liberate the Jewish people from the oppressive hand of the Romans. But when they see Jesus, when they encounter him and see what's going on, what do they realize? This so-called king gained the reputation of being a glutton, a drunkard. He's always hanging around sinners and all these just unimportant people. He, he wasn't royal at all, nor did he represent the kind of leadership that they expected. And so eventually they were to see, and they were part of it, as they, over, as they overwhelmed and as they rejected the so-called king by crucifying him on the cross. So in light of Christ, wasting God's grace means wasting and rejecting everything that Christ stood for in his life and ministry here on earth. Letting God's grace go to vain means letting the work of Christ essentially go to vain. That work of Christ through Paul's ministry that was presented to the Corinthians go to vain. For just as Christ suffered and and failed in the eyes of the Jewish people, Paul also experienced tremendous failures and hardships in his ministry for the sake of the gospel. And the Corinthians shouldn't just write him off immediately because they've been disappointed by his failures, because his leadership didn't meet up to what they thought his leadership should look like. And it's to that attitude and to that approach that Paul in verse one tells them, remember who you are in Christ. Don't let that grace of God go to vain. You're sinners, we're sinners who received the grace of God in Christ. Christ who suffered and died in the place of our failures to be righteous before God. That's the ministry of Christ that we're talking about. And that's why in verse two, Paul continues his appeal saying, behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. In other words, their attitude and approach to Paul's leadership should reflect the grace that they experienced, the grace that they received through the ministry of their suffering Savior, Jesus Christ. The Corinthians' expectation for success has to be redefined through the lens of the gospel. For what appears to be worldly failure is gospel success in Christ. So what's that mean for us today then? Well, disappointment in church leadership happens. It happens, it happens to all of us. I can definitely say that I found myself in the past disappointed and criticizing and rejecting church leadership for things that I thought could have been handled so much better. But here, when we find ourselves rejecting church leadership, we have to check our hearts. Are we 
First, remembering the ministry and leadership of Jesus Christ and letting Christ be the criteria for what gospel leadership should be. Are we honoring our leader, Christ, who's the head of the church, when we reject church leadership in our hearts? Because Paul reminds us that our definition of what failure is, disappointment is, success is, must be in light of the gospel because that reflects our understanding and reception of Christ. Now, if you're a skeptic or someone who's currently investigating the faith, this, this is a rather unique and radical charge that the Bible gives those who follow Christ. It redefines success and failures in light of the ministry of Christ as Christ loved his people to the very end and gave up his life for them. Gospel leadership must embody the same kind of principles. Have you? Have you ever heard of or have you ever encountered that kind of leadership before in your life that carries with it such heaviness, such responsibility, but yet also love and care for its own people? Imagine what it'd be like to be led under that kind of servant leadership that models after Christ himself. We are to receive gospel leadership because in doing so, we receive Christ. Now, as we continue on in this appeal that Paul is making in verses three to 10, we see that now he proves to the Corinthians that his conduct and his behavior in ministry, it qualifies what they should look for in gospel leadership. And that brings us to our second point. What do we look for? What to look for in gospel leadership? Let's look at verses three to four together. Paul says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul, what he's doing is he's essentially using his own life and ministry as an apostolic resume to prove to the Corinthians that his leadership was one that represented God as an ambassador. And then going forward in verses four to five, he lists a bunch of ways that he's suffered. He's greatly endured and suffered and uh, went through hardships for the name of Christ. These are not failures, but these are successes in the light of the gospel. He says he's beaten by both the Jews and the Romans. In fact, every city he went to, he was the cause for rioting because he's preaching about the name of Christ. He was imprisoned for a good period of the end of his life, and he was frequently hungry from lack of food because he was always on the move. Why? sharing about the gospel of Christ. I mean, talk about an unimpressive resume, right? Imagine someone shows up for a job interview and they have to answer the question, tell me some of your greatest achievements. Well, here they are. And they present you with this really long list of what looks like failures, hardships, and sufferings. When we look at John chapter 15, verse 18, we read of what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world and the world would love you, 
then the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And well, that's what Paul is doing for the Corinthians. He's presenting before them his life and ministry as an open book so that they can determine whether he lives up to the calling of the gospel to pick up the cross and follow Christ. But now that's not all, because that's actually the beginning of the list of what qualifies gospel leadership. Because in verses six to seven, he continues that list. As he says, we commend ourselves in every way. First, he talks about by great endurance. And then in six to seven, he also talks about by purity, by knowledge, by patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God. By all of these God-given characteristics, Paul is defending his ministry. He's defending his leadership to the Corinthians by saying, look, Look, guys, this is the kind of gospel leader I've been to you. Not only have I endured through countless hardships, but I've been pure in my conduct. I've been patient and kind, even though it wasn't always reciprocated back to me. I've always loved you with the most sincere of loves from the deepest parts of my heart. And I've always been truthful to you about everything that I said regarding the gospel. You know, this is the job description of what gospel leadership should look like at its core. Leaders who endure through all things. Leaders who are pure and sincere in their actions and conduct. Leaders who truly understand what the gospel message is for them. Leaders who are patient and kind in all matters, sincerely loving and serving the people they're called to lead and being truthful in speech. And wouldn't you want to get behind a leader like that? Someone who's upright, someone who's gentle, kind, patient, and loving in the way that they treat you, in the way they serve you, in the way that they lead you. Remember, our first point was this. We receive gospel leadership because the way we receive gospel leadership reflects the way we receive Christ. And now we see Paul laying before us what we are to expect, what we're to look for in gospel leadership. In fact, elsewhere in scripture, Paul writes to Timothy and Titus talking about how the leadership of the church should be held accountable to the highest of all standards for the leaders to be above reproach in everything that they say and do in the eyes of God first and in the eyes of the people that they are called to lead. In other words, here it is. Gospel leadership requires that our leaders are worthy of being received and trusted so that we can open our hearts to them and we can receive them. What that means is gospel leadership needs to be held accountable according to the qualifications we see here in our text today. And if they are not meeting those qualifications, these requirements, then that needs to be addressed in a loving way. But if they are doing their best to strive after these qualifications in their leadership, then what Paul is saying to us as we are to then receive them as we would receive Christ. 
Now, I want to mention that gospel leadership in this world, it's, it's comprised of human beings. And we all know human beings, we all sin. And human beings are all in need of daily, are all daily in need of grace. I would even go on to say that it's impossible for anyone to meet these qualifications all the time without fail. I mean, this list from Paul's order, it's a very tall order. And you might wonder where leaders are even supposed to find the ability to live up to this kind of calling. I mean, how is anyone supposed to do it? How did Paul do it? Well, there was one leader in all of human history who actually did live up to this calling and never failed to meet any of those qualifications. In fact, he's the perfect standard for gospel leadership. Why? Because he's the one who defines it in the first place. His name is Christ. He was the the great servant leader who suffered unimaginable hardships on the way to death on a cross, all to love and die for his own people to save them from eternal death. It was also Christ who never broke character once in his entire span of his life and his ministry on earth. He was kind and warm, and his love comforted the weak and the poor. His wisdom and his patience led to people's repentance. He was pure in all his ways. He was truthful in all of his speech. With Christ in mind, let's look at verses 8 to 10 together as we reach the very crux of Paul's identity in his ministry as a gospel leader. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters, yet true, as unknown, and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Christ was dishonored and rejected by his own, yet he was honored and glorified by God the Father. Christ was slandered and mocked by his own as they blindfolded him. They struck him. They they mocked him saying, prophesy, prophesy, guess who hit you? Who just hit you right now? Yet, Christ was also praised by those like the Roman centurion who stood under the cross witnessing the entirety of the crucifixion all to confess at the very end of it all. Certainly, this man was innocent. Christ was treated as an imposter. Pharisees calling him, you, you're the prince of the demons. That's how you're able to cast out these demons. Yet, Christ was true in that knowing him, the truth will set you free. Christ was unknown, being born on the very fringes, the outskirts of society. Yet, he was known by God himself as the heavens tore right open during his baptism and a voice proclaimed, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Christ died and he was crucified on the cross for our sins. And yet he rose again to live on the third day, 
conquering sin, conquering death, so that anyone who would believe in his name would enter into the eternal riches and glory of a restored relationship with God. You see, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has personally suffered and endured the hardships for our sake, for the sake of rescuing his people. And he did that all because he loved you and he laid down his life for you. Christ endured through all things. He's pure and sincere in all of his actions. He brought true knowledge of eternal life to the minds of unbelievers. Christ was patient and kind in leading them to repentance. And his words of truth were the words of eternal life. And so going back to that question, how's anyone supposed to live up to this incredibly high standard for gospel leadership? It's made possible by relying on Christ, our great servant leader. I mean, that's how Paul did it. And that's what we're supposed to look for in our gospel leadership. So then, coming to the third and final point, how do we respond to gospel leadership in our lives? Let's look at the very last segment of Paul's appeal to the Corinthians in verses 11 to 13. He says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as the children, widen your hearts also. If you read the entirety of this passage from verses one to 13, you'll notice that it's actually bookended by Paul's appeal. He starts with his appeal, and then he ends with uh, repeating that he, uh, as he appeals to the Corinthians again. Verse one, he appeals to the Corinthians, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive Christ in vain. And now in our final section, he's appealing to the Corinthians in one of the most heartfelt ways that he does in all the letters that he sent out to the churches. He's addressing the Corinthians by name, saying, Corinthians, I am talking to you. Widen your hearts as our hearts are wide open. They've been wide open and we are waiting on you. So would you widen your hearts to us? It's clear that Paul eagerly desires and longs to reconcile with the Corinthians. Even though his message was tough for them to hear, it's necessary for them to recheck their hearts and remember that receiving Paul and his ministry means receiving Christ. And now that these things have been laid out for the Corinthians, the ball is now in their court to respond by opening their closed hearts and reconciling with Paul. And so to conclude, Grace Toronto, our passage today, it teaches us that we are to respond to gospel leadership as we would respond to Christ. The question that remains is the same question that the Corinthians were left with. How will we respond to the leadership of our church? Wherever you are, 
or however you stand in your view of the elders and the pastors here or the other leaders, would you consider this message? Would you consider what opening your heart may look like as we hear God's word this morning and respond as the Holy Spirit leads us? Now, normally we do have a Q&A um, afterwards, but this time around, what I wanted to do was I thought it appropriate uh, to take some time for ourselves, the next couple of minutes, to just reflect on what we just heard from our text, specifically in regards to gospel leadership and our understanding of what gospel leadership looks like. The three things we went through were why we are to receive it, we receive it because the way we receive it reflects the way we receive Christ. The second one, what to look for in gospel leadership. And we saw that the greatest example is our great servant leader, Christ. Gospel leadership must embody the ministry of Christ. And the third is now our response. How will we respond? So why don't we take some time, a couple of minutes, just to chew on that, think about that, pray, and see how the Lord leads you in responding to our text. Afterwards, I'll close us in a word of prayer. And for any, of the, any questions that you may have uh, from this text or anything uh, that came up for the sermon for you, please email me at stephen at gracetoronto.ca and I'll respond to you that way. So let's now respond uh, quietly um, in reflection.